Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. So be honest, how many of you have gained weight since Brandy started putting these donuts <laughs> up on the screen and, and, and in front of you? Uh, I want to do a couple of kind of housekeeping things uh, first before I jump in uh, to the message. Uh, one is in regards to the directory. I, I know when Brandy was up here, uh, she gave you a, a code to use digitally. Uh, I'm not going to repeat that since we're on a live feed, but we will be sending that out in email, or you can come up and ask about it because that code is for our people to be able to go online and, uh, and look at the, uh, the photographs there. Uh, you will not find everyone's contact information because we have some people, understandably, in law enforcement because of what they do, do not want their information out you know, publicly. Their picture will be there, but maybe not uh, everything else. Um, and also, in light of that, for the next few months, uh, every time we have Family Sunday, we want to do a uh, photography session again on that day. And the reason we're choosing that day, you'll already have your kids with you. And we want to be sure we've got everyone's picture and have family pictures. Uh, you won't need to go upstairs where they did before. They're going to be right here in the hallway. And we'll probably have a little slip of paper in there. You can go ahead and fill out your information. You can just step out there and get your, made, uh, get your picture made pretty quick. And then they'll transfer that over in the digital directory. At some point in time, we will print some off. But we want to get it as complete as possible uh, before we do that. So that's one thing I wanted to point out. Second thing is the, uh, the Decision Magazine from the Billy Graham Association. Uh, that we uh, made available uh, for you today. Uh, I get this every time they send one out, uh, mail to my house. And there were about three articles in this one that really rubbed shoulders really strongly uh, with what we're dealing with, uh, some of the topics in this series. So I called them to see if they would send me enough for everybody uh, to have one. Uh, so you should have been handed that on the way in. If they missed you somehow, there, there are some of these available out there on the table. I'll actually quote from it at one point of the message today. But you will uh, see pretty quickly if you uh, read through some of the articles that it has some really pertinent information. One's on the battle of the soul for our nation. Uh, not sure if you were aware of this or not, but in a previous administration uh, here in our country, they were allowed to... Uh, fly the gay pride flag uh, below the American flag at the embassies uh, all across the world. And you can imagine how that would have been reacted to in some Islamic countries and, and things. So there's an article, uh, not just about that. There's one uh, on the Equality Act. I don't know if you've heard anything about the Equality Act. Uh, they choose words sometimes really good to make you think, well, that's good, the Equality Act. If the Equality Act were to go through, it could potentially impact what I could even say in messages. Uh, that could be qualified as hate speech that would be straight from the Bible. Uh, so take time and, and read that article. And there's another article, especially for anyone that's got children, uh, fighting for our children a transgender age. Um, so uh, please take time and, and read that. And maybe after you read it, pass it on to somebody else that you feel like uh, might need to read those articles because I think we do have uh, some extra ones available out there. Uh, having said that, I want to reiterate a warning that uh, I think Brandy gave or that's in the uh, uh, updates today. And that is, if you have small children, I'll leave it up to your discretion 
But the topic today is going to be the hot topic of sexuality from a biblical standpoint. So like I said, I'll leave it up to you. I've, I've given warnings like that before, and people think, well, yeah, it'll be okay. And then halfway through the message, I see someone get up and take their kid out, you know, and everything. So if what we're going to say is biblical. What we're going to say is true. We're not going to say anything that's not true, but that will kindly be up to, uh, up to you. Uh, I, thought, I thought Angie was sending Lynn out for a minute. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but, but anyway, uh, but, but we wanted to give a, a warning to that. Now that being said, if you, if you have an older child or especially youth, they need to hear this, you know, kindly because they need to know what the Bible has to say, uh, regarding these, uh, topics regarding these, uh, these issues. But I wanted just to throw that out because that is the topic today. As I have said through this series, we're not doing these topics trying to be hurtful or harmful uh, towards someone. We want to be sure we have the right perspective. We're just trying to give biblical truth out, guys. We don't want to do it in a hateful, mean-spirited way because our goal is to get truth out to people. Our goal isn't to intentionally be offensive. Our goal isn't to uh, uh, ruin the chance we might have to impact somebody else's life with the gospel. We don't want to come forth as uh, being hateful, mean-spirited, Christians, we do want to stand for the truth of God's word and tell people what is true in, in, in our culture because they're being misled in a lot of ways, but we don't want to come across in the wrong way. As I mentioned on several Sundays, uh, you can win an argument and lose the battle. And the battle is to get people to Jesus, not to pin someone in a corner and win an argument with them. So bear that in mind as we go uh the rest of the way through the series, because the topics are getting a little bit more, I guess, quote, uh, controversial. So like I said, we're focusing on the topic of sexuality. It's going to be part one. Uh, next Sunday is our youth Sunday. Please do not think, well, the pastor's not preaching. Uh, so we're having youth Sunday, so we'll stay away. Our youth need to see your smiling faces. You know, they need to see you there supporting them as they help lead in the service next week. And uh, then on the other side of you, Sunday, we'll pick up with part two on this message. It was just going to be one message, but guys, I'll be honest with you. The more I studied, the more I looked at content, it was impossible to do in one message. So that's why I, I changed the series a little bit, and we'll pick back up on uh, on part two of this in uh, in two weeks. And then uh, in three weeks, we'll deal with the topic of homosexuality. The reason I wanted to be sure we dealt with the topic of sexuality first is that before we start looking in the camp of somebody else, you understand what I'm saying? We need to be sure we look in our own camp. Amen? Because there's enough sin when it comes to this type of topic right within the church that we need to be sure that we are dealing with before we jump over into a, a topic like homosexuality. Now, that being said, I, I want to point out something to you, and you'll understand it more through the message. You may already fully understand it. The topic of sexuality is not a bad topic to talk about in church. <laughs> uh, regrettably, it's not talked about a whole lot in church. Matter of fact, I pretty much grew up being drugged to church most of my life. Some segments of it I, I, I missed. But I can't remember services that dealt exclusively with this, maybe till after I was called in the ministry, and I'm studying the Bible, and I'm seeing these themes and these topics in the Bible. And guys, here's just the deal with that. If the Bible talks about it, shouldn't we talk about it? If the Bible defines it, shouldn't we define it instead of letting our culture just define it? 
instead of us really telling people what the Bible has to say uh, about these types of, of subjects. And there's a lot of misconceptions, huge misconceptions outside the church and inside the church when it comes to this topic. I want to also point out to you, there's not anything inherently bad with sexuality itself. And if you just listen to the way it's presented in our culture, you think, man, it's all bad. Or maybe even the way some churches deal with it. You think, well, God must, there must be something wrong with sexuality from God's standpoint. I've got news for you that I'll detail out a little bit more in a moment. God created sexuality. Do you understand that? Do you realize that's a true statement? That's a true biblical statement that God created it. So that's all the more reason why we need to be willing to dive into it. The problem is this. God created it. We're supposed to practice it in God-honoring ways. The problem happens when we pervert it and we twist it and we practice it away from what God's intention is, which is in marriage. Amen. Today, we're going to talk about the positive aspect. Two weeks, we'll kind of pick up some of the negative uh, aspects in, in, in two weeks. So uh, today, if you're following along as we look at some biblical truths, the uh, uh, first point in this sermon, the second will be next week, is that we're just going to look, hopefully, at biblical understanding and practices concerning sexuality. We want to see what the Bible has to say, understand what the Bible has to say, understand what the correct practices are when it comes to sexuality. Then in two weeks, we're going to talk about some warnings and some prohibitions that the Bible also gives us on this same topic about sexuality. So uh, as I said a moment ago, the Bible uh, has a lot to say about sexuality. The Bible speaks about it probably much more than we allow it to speak in our churches uh, because of maybe just the way our church culture is developed. Uh, many people might assume that, that God's against sex in some way, but that's not the teaching of the Bible as a whole. We, we're going to see in this message today that, that there's definite scriptural guidelines concerning sexuality, that God plans sexuality, and that may shock someone. If you're shocked today, don't act shocked. Just listen to me and uh, everything. Don't get up and walk out. We've already locked the doors where you can't do that. I'm just joking uh, this morning. Uh, anyway, so we're going to look at three main things today. The first one is this one. Gender was created by God. And the reason we're pointing out that gender was created by God is that there's such a debate and uh, misconception and misinformation about gender identity that's floating around in our world today and in our own uh, nation today. This verse in Genesis 1.27, we've read several times in this series, uh, and we're going to read it today because it has application to this topic of gender. Uh, by the way, before you get in your mind that, well, but that's back in Genesis, and, you know, that's just a bunch of fables and stuff. You don't really believe that. Later on in the message today, you're going to see that Jesus believed it and that Jesus quoted from this passage of Scripture. So, guys, if Jesus believed it, I think we have to believe it because if you start acting like something is wrong that Jesus believed, you know what you've done? You've attacked the deity of Christ. And I'm assuming him being God, he knows what he's talking about. Amen? So he quotes from this passage of scripture. Look what's said here. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So there's some important implications in that verse. Here's the first one. Men and women are created equally. 
There's no room in our Christian mindset to act like men are superior and women are inferior. That's not what the Bible says. It says clearly here that God created man, and there he's referring to male and female because it goes on to say that God created the male and the female in his image. So that means that they are created equally. They're both created in the image of God. He said male and female. So the second implication is that even though we're created equally, we're created distinctly. We're not made exactly the same. God intentionally made the distinction between male and female. He intentionally made the difference between men and women. In other words, to phrase it a different way, gender, the thing we're hearing a lot of confusion about in our culture, gender is created by God. God is the one that thought of gender, that created gender. In the beginning, it was true. We just read about it in the beginning. Guys, it's still true, barring some type of birth defect that that happens. It's still true in the day that we live in. God creates male and, and female. And that is clear at the moment of birth, unless there's something that's happened uh, genetically to where there's some confusion, there's something wrong, there's some type of birth defect. But other than that, as soon as a baby's born, you can tell, hey, that's a boy and that's a girl. Can you not? Amen. Huh? With the ultrasound technology they have today, most of the time, if you want to know, you can know about it on the front side. Now, some of us couldn't because of our age at the time ours were, were being born. But when a baby is born, you can tell clearly at birth it is a male or a female. In other words, gender is not a concept. It's not some concept for someone just to think about and decide what I am or what someone else is. Gender is not a choice. It's not something on the other side of birth. I, I had nothing to do with the fact that I was born a male. Becky had nothing to do with the fact that she was born a female. It's not a choice that we make. And yet in our culture, it's pretty being presented like it ought to be a choice. But we can clearly see from the Bible that gender was created by God. Equal, but distinct. Both the men and the women were created in the image of God, and but by God's design, they were not identical. God, when he made humans, made it as male and female to fit his plans, to fit his design, to fit his purposes. God made the male and female like they are in order that they can reproduce. Now, there's more to it than that, and we'll get into that in a few moments, but in order that they might reproduce. But even beyond that, I think God made the distinction between male and female to provide unique relational support for each other. Now, now guys, let me illustrate that a little bit. I'm, I'm glad that I can look at every man in this room that I really know and have any kind of relationship with. And I can think of you as a friend. And I feel like uh, many of you, I could come and talk to you and ask for advice and, and ask for counsel. And you probably feel like the same thing, but, but I don't want to bust your bubble, but I want to tell you something. I can get my best consultation, my best support from my wife, Becky. So it involves more than just Reproduction. That's part of it. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But I think God made us even emotionally the way we are and, and designed us in a way to where we have this support role for each other. 
So with all that's true, someone might ask, well, why in the world if God biologically decided up front to make men and women and to make them distinctly, even though they are, even though they're different, he made them distinctly, even though they're equal in his eyes. Why do we have then so much confusion in our culture today concerned in gender, gender identity? Now, I'm just going to take a stab and tell you what I think has happened. I think over a period of years, a gradual change in our culture, a gradual change in what was accepted and what's being promoted, especially through media and things like that, what was a gradual trickle has now became a great big flood of misconception and misinformation and, and wrong teaching in our area, in, what's, in this area. And what's happened is this. All that over a period of time begins to affect the psychological thought process of people. Now, here's why I say that. For thousands and thousands and thousands of years, there was never any question about, is that a boy or is that a girl? Am I right? Did, I didn't hear about that when I was growing up. Did you? For thousands of years, it was not a debate. For thousands of years, it was not any kind of discussion whatsoever. But now with the gradual changes happening and now pouring out more like a flood in our culture and the gender identity issue uh, being under attack, then I think that's probably why you have this different mindset that's starting to pop up in our culture. And there's more confusion over this identity, over this gender identity issue in human history now than probably that there's ever been from what I hear in the news and I see in the news. And you can read about some of that in, in the magazine. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that no one ever wrestled with any kind of identity issues in the past. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying this, though, and I've pointed this out early in this series. All of mankind has been impacted by the fall of man into sin. Amen? We've all been impacted some way or another. Some in different areas with different tendencies maybe than, than we have. But we have all been impacted and it's through the fall and then this continued downward spiral. We'll be in Romans 1 again in about three weeks. But Romans 1 clearly doesn't show that mankind is evolving better. It shows a downward spiral that happened as a result of the fall. So with this downward spiral, you have increasingly increasingly more confusion when it comes to issues like gender Identity that's being so misunderstood in our culture. Let me give you a quote from David Platt in his uh, book, Counterculture. And don't misunderstand the quote. He's got the correct biblical stance. But he's just talking about how our culture is. Listen to what he says. According to our culture, sexual differences are merely social constructions. Gender is biological chance. Some would even say that it's a preference, talking about gender, even if biology determines otherwise. If a person says they're male, female, or neither, then who's to say otherwise? Shouldn't it be their choice? And that's not what David Platt is saying. He's saying that's what our culture says. 
And the biblical answer to that is absolutely no. It should not be just up to an individual's choice because biology and science teaches otherwise. Some people in our culture today see gender as being so subjective, it's like you're changing your fashion statement or something. It's just like you decided to change your clothes. That's almost the way our, our culture wants to accept that. But they don't deal with other issues like the suicide rate. There's a very, very, very high suicide rate of anyone that goes through a gender transformation surgery because they are not really who they have chosen to be. And they have this, this massive wrestling within themselves that many times leads to suicide. In the Billy Graham Association magazine decision that I provided for you today uh, on, in an article on page 12, let me read you part of that. It's in the, uh, it's in the article entitled Fighting uh, for Our Children in a Transgender Age. Listen to what's said in the magazine. Modern society prides itself on being scientific. Now, let me stop and I'll finish reading in a minute. Now, is that not a true statement? People want to point to science when you try to talk to them about creation, they want to talk about evolution. Or whether it be global warming or whatever other the issue is, they want to talk about science. Amen? That's what our culture wants to point to. But, but finish reading the statement. Modern society prides itself on being scientific, yet it has embraced a transgender ideology that denies the facts of science, disconnecting gender from biology. Now, now guys, I'm sorry, you can't have it both ways. If you want to be scientific, be scientific. And if you're going to be scientific, you're going to discover that DNA and biology clearly shows that's a male and that's a female. Not somewhere in between, not any type of confusion, not, oh, God made some type of mistake. It is clear scientifically when you look at DNA and biology, it's a male or a female. Now, you might have heard something recently where someone has come out and said, well, they have found uh, a, a, a chromosome in DNA that may, you hear the word, may, may explain why some people wrestle with their gender identity. They say may. You know what the majority of people teach who are scientists when it looks at DNA? There's a specific chromosome that causes the baby to be a male. There's another specific chromosome that causes the baby to be a female. And you can't have it both ways. Be scientific, but if you want to be scientific, be across-the-board scientific. Don't ignore science when it comes to this issue just because science doesn't fit your agenda. Because science doesn't fit your predetermined mindset. Because science doesn't uphold what you're wanting to teach in the culture. That, that we live in. In other words, people even push in our culture for the terms of he and she being dropped out of the public arena. I, I read an article recently about a, uh, a 16-year-old in Michigan and the, the state laws in Michigan are different than our state laws, I think. But the school system has started supporting the gender transformation of a 16-year-old, even lining up appointments for them and starting to call that person a she instead of a he without even telling the parents. You have a problem with that? If I was the parent, I would have a huge problem 
with that. There's another one I read about this past week. It was a 14-year-old girl. And she started thinking that she was a he. And she even had a friend she was hanging out with that thought that she was a he. The other girl thought that she was a he. And she was telling this young girl things like, well, I'm just a, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a boy trapped in a girl's body. And the school started changing what they called her and started referring to her as he. The 14-year-old girl is autistic. And the school didn't even factor in the fact that her autism might be affecting the way she views herself or processes information. That, that just kind of shows you how, how crazy our world is. There, there's a conference held recently, and it was attached to a, to a, to a party. I almost said it, didn't I? <laughs> And it was like a, a, a bunch of young progressives in, in, in a national conference they were having. And they banned the use of he or she in all the conference that was taking place. And they banned whispering. They said whispering was a trigger for some people, so please don't whisper. Guys, we're living in a different world. Amen? We're, we're living in a world that's being impacted by, by things that the world has not been impacted. Our view and our culture has not been impacted by before. Our world wants to take the word equal and think that equal means identical. It doesn't mean identical. Men and women are created equal, but they're created distinctively. It doesn't mean they're exactly identical in all ways. And that's where our culture is trying to push it. When God said, after he had allowed Adam to go out and name the animals and, um, Develop a felt need himself, noticing that there's a female of everyone but, but himself. God said this, it's not good for the man to be alone. And that's not God having an epiphany. God knows everything. Amen? But when God said that, notice what he did. He created a woman. He created a female. He didn't create another male. If the only issue were to be fellowship and relationship and things like that, he could have created another male. But he didn't. He created a female. And he did it for specific reasons. He did it because the female could do things the male could never do and help the male in ways that, that, that he needed to be helped. And ladies, don't take that word helper in a negative way because the exact same Hebrew word is used later in Genesis talking about God being our helper. It's not a negative thing. It's really a unique thing that God made you special the way he made you to where you can fill a role that another man or a male couldn't feel. So God created genders, what the Bible teaches. Second thing is this today, our second topic is sexuality, not just gender, but sexuality was created by God. Now, like I said, that may shock you, but it's going to be biblical truth. I want to talk about that in two areas. To begin with, sexuality was created for procreation so babies could be born right after God had made Adam and Eve he told them to you know go and and, and be fruitful and, and, and multiply and and fill the earth God specifically made the woman so that could happen he specifically made the man the way he did and the woman the way he did so they could be fruitful so procreation could happen just a little bit later in Genesis, the Bible says this in Genesis 4, verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife. Now, I've got, I've got news for you. 
That doesn't mean that Adam walked up to Eve right after God made her and said, how are you? I'm Adam. What's your name? Let's sit down. Let's shake hands. Let's sit down and, and, uh, and get to know each other a little bit better. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what it means because keep reading the verse. He knew Eve, his wife, and what happened? She conceived. You're afraid to say the word. I can't say that at church. Guys, I got news for you. God didn't create Adam and Eve, bring them together, and then him leave the garden for a little while and come back and God say, I can't believe they're doing that. <laughs> God designed them in that way. God, God told them. He, he's the one that created sexuality, and, and he did so for procreation, but he also did it for another reason. And this is what you probably don't ever hear in church. God also created sexuality for enjoyment. For enjoyment. Between a husband and a wife who are married together, God created sexuality for enjoyment. Now, before you get upset with me that I said that, you better spend some time reading the Song of Solomon. And I don't know if you're going to go home and read the Song of Solomon, so I'm going to give you some samples from it real quick. Okay? By the way, somehow Spurgeon preached all the way through the Song of Solomon in Elizabeth in England. I don't know how in the world he pulled it off. Then it was a shame for a woman to show her ankles and they wear dresses and long. Look at what Song of Solomon says in some places. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Verse 10. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Now, now you might need to use your imagination a little bit, but there's some descriptive language being used in the Song of Solomon. Verse 16. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat his choices fruits. They're not talking about raising vegetables. <laughs> Song of Solomon chapter 7 verse 2. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. I don't know what they were doing, but... <laughs> Song of Solomon chapter 7 through, uh, in verse 7 through verse 10. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the sin of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's, and catch this, his desire is for me. You see that emotional attachment do you see that romantic attachment is not just about having babies god made it for procreation he created sexuality for procreation but it, he made it for more than that god made us as sexual beings god made us the way he did biologically god has given us the desires that he has given us god's not surprised by those desires but they are to be fulfilled in a biblical god honoring way to get a little bit more precise to where you, I'm sure you 
are getting this. Our creator designed our bodies. And I'm not being, trying to be improper, guys. But I'm just telling you the truth, and I think you'll agree with that. I hope no one here is so prudish you're going to get really upset. God created our bodies the way he created our bodies. And he put nerve endings in particular places all across our body, including nerve endings that provide enjoyment during the intimate contact of sex. God didn't have to do that. If it's just about procreation, God could have made us, you've heard me say this before, where we pollinated like flowers. But, but God chose for it to be more than just about procreation. He, he, he chose for it to be something to where there's this very intimate connection, very deep intimate connection and, and enjoyment that can be greatly fulfilling between a, a, a wife and, and a husband who are married together. I think God did it like this, guys, not just for it to, quote, feel good, for lack of a better term, but God did it also, made made the sexual relationship enjoyable because God intended for a man and a woman who are married together to have a strong emotional bond that no one else is supposed to have with each other. That, that emotional bond, that intimate connection between the husband and the wife is something that God gave you to be enjoyed as a gift that gives you a very strong bonding and attachment to each other. That, that's why premarital sex is so wrong because many people get involved in it so early, they're not ready for that emotional attachment. They're not ready for that bonding to take place. God intended it to be something very special and exclusive. For a husband and a wife that are married together. Not premarital, not extramarital. But God designed it to be a very special gift for you to enjoy together. Now you've heard me preach on this before. And I'm not going to go into many details. But somebody might say, well, but, but Pastor, all that Song of Solomon stuff, that's Old Testament. Okay, let's go to New Testament. Let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. And see what the Apostle Paul wrote there, inspired of God. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, by the way, remember this is in the city of Corinth, that was a huge sexualized society, kind of like America today. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her congenial rights and likewise a wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, a husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do you understand what's being said there? The, the, the rights that he's talking about, it's not talking about cleaning house, guys. There's nothing wrong with helping clean house. He's talking about meeting each other's intimate needs. He's talking about once you're married, you're to view that your body belongs to your spouse. Ladies, the moment you're married, your body belongs to your husband. Guys, the moment you're married, your body belongs to your spouse. And, and you're supposed to meet the need, the God-given need and desire that God placed there. And it even goes on and makes it very specific. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may give yourselves to prayer. Some translations say prayer and fasting. 
So get the big picture here. God is saying, once you're married, you're to meet each other's needs in an intimate way, in a sexual way. You're to meet each other's needs. You're not supposed to deprive each other. There's not to be head games being played or anything like that with it, or I'm upset with you, and I'm going to use this to get what I want. Nothing like that. He he said the only reason that you would kind of call a timeout, that's what he's talking about, on your intimate relationship Don't deprive each other except by agreement. In other words, you've talked about it. You're you're trying to figure out something maybe you want to hear from God about. Do do we need to buy a new house? Do I need to change jobs? Do we need to have children? Do we need to find a church? Whatever the case might be. And you talk about it, and the husband and wife, you've decided you're going to pray and and fast, and you're going to seek the face of God, and you're calling time out from your intimacy. He says that's fine to do it for a spiritual reason. But then he says... But then come together again. When you read that in the Greek, it means come together again quickly so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. In other words, God designed you the way he designed you. He gave you the desires that you have. And there's a right way to fulfill those desires. And you need to be taking care of the needs of your spouse. And the only reason you ought to call time out is for a spiritual reason. But then don't wait too long because Satan's going to tempt you to go fulfill those desires in a wrong way. That's what the Bible's saying. And that's as practical as anything you can see probably when it comes to the intimate relationship between a, between a husband and a wife. Last topic today is this. Gender was created by God. Sexuality was created by God. Marriage was created by God. The Bible says this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 22 through 25. In the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not a shame. Several important truths in those few verses. One is this. God created sexuality. God created marriage. I think what we have pictured here is a picture of like the first marriage ceremony taking place. And God is the one there that's orchestrating it. He had made Adam already. He makes Eve. He brings Eve to her. And and it's like this first marriage union taking place. You could tell that Adam had been looking. He had this felt need. He said, now at last, here's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she's taken out of man. Then I think God picks up and God is speaking in, in the next verse, in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. You think the way the church sometimes approaches the topic of sexuality, that there must be something wrong with a sexual relationship as though maybe it has something to do with the original sin. Here, when they're first brought together, before sin entered the world, it said they were both naked and there was no shame. Guys, there's not shame in the human body unless it's being misappropriated and misused beyond the parameters that God has for it. There's no shame there. But I want you to notice that it says God made a man 
And then he made a woman. And he brought them together to be married. The word for hold fast, the old King James said cleave, literally means to be glued to your wife. So God's original plan involved permanency in the relationship. That one flesh relationship that this referred to there. That, that, that speaks of permanency also in, in the relationship. How you ought to relate to each other. Understand you've been brought together before God like you're one person now. You, you have a, a union, a covenant that you made together before God. But, but it also speaks of that intimate sexual bond that I was talking about a moment ago that God created their bodies for. So guys, the, the concept of marriage, not just here in the beginning, but throughout the Bible and throughout history until recent years, it's just like the concept of gender. Gender was never debated or questioned whether it was a boy or a girl until recent years. Marriage was never debated until recent years, whether marriage is supposed to be a male and a female together or what marriage really pictured. Here in the beginning, the first marriage, all throughout the rest of the Bible, all the other marriages, all through history, pretty much until recent modern times, we recognize marriage being between a man and a woman. I think what has changed that is in the effort for people to promote equality They've gotten confused about what equality really means. And, and that's why this has become such a hot topic in, in our culture. Men and women are created equal, but like I said earlier, they're created distinctly. Where did marriage come from then? Who conceived marriage? Who instituted marriage? According to the Bible... It was God. God instituted marriage. God conceived marriage. Marriage is God's thing. It wasn't conceived and instituted by the government. So guys, as far as I'm concerned, that means this. In the June of 2013, when the Supreme Court struck down that amendment, the uh, struck down the Defense of Marriage Act, when they struck that down, and it started paving the way for states to decide and redefine what marriage really means. Just because the Supreme Court says something or the state government says something doesn't change the heart, the intent, the purpose, and the will of God. God conceived marriage, not government. Does that help clarify that for you? God conceived marriage and not government. There's a whole lot more I can say about marriage. We're not doing a marriage seminar. We are doing one on a message on sexuality for the next two messages. That being said, I want to give you some more information about marriage. You ought to go home with your spouse and sit down and read through Ephesians 5. And as you read through Ephesians 5, I want you to remind yourself something. Because sometimes there are tough pills to swallow for the ladies. Sometimes people don't like that word submit. Can, can I fix that for you a little bit? Jesus was co-equal to God the Father, but he willingly submitted to the Father. Amen? That's not a derogative thing. 
And then it goes on and has guidelines for the husband. I want you to remember something. When you get a chance, sit down and read through Ephesians 5 with your spouse. But no matter what's said there, here's the big picture. Your marriage is supposed to glorify God. You as a woman and the man as a husband, husband and wives, you're supposed to be given a picture of Jesus the bridegroom in the church for the rest of the world to see. That's what marriage is supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be teaching everybody else about Jesus in the church. The goal of your marriage is to glorify God. And if you'll read that with that mindset, you won't have such a problem with words like submit. And men, before you misinterpret the word submit, and uh, go home, and I sat down in your recliner, in your throne. Woman, go get me some tea. I'm going to suggest you don't practice that word submit like that. Can I give you some information? You do that, and you cannot expect the sexuality to go too well that night. <laughs> Or maybe for the next week or year. I don't know. <laughs> so don't misappropriate that. Keep reading. And you're going to find out the Bible says that, hey, us guys, we're supposed to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Christ loves the church enough to care for the church. To die for the church. He died to himself so that we could have life. Amen? So guys, you need to think about that. You're supposed to be sacrificially loving your wife. Doing all you can to help your wife. Do all you can to encourage your wife like Jesus does for us. But I do want to point out one thing at the end of it because it really has application of what we're talking about today. At the very end of that section in Ephesians 5, notice what's said. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, a lot of you have heard me preach this before when we're dealing with marriage because you've been here for years. Why in the world didn't it just say, well, love each other? Or see to it that you love your wife, see to it that you love your husband. Here's why. The very God that made us, that designed us, all the sexuality part we're talking about, he also wired us different emotionally. And ladies, you've got a huge need to feel loved. Amen? Amen? It's okay to say it. Oh, the first service believed it more than you guys. (laughs) I didn't tell the first service, see if you design the message right and get amen out of everybody. In the men, it's not that we don't want to feel loved. We've got an inbuilt need to be respected. Is that right, guys? And ladies, while we may not show it to you, I, I, I appreciate some level of respect that any of you, any of you guys might give me. But I want the respect of this woman over here more than anybody on the face of the planet. So ladies, you need to offer respect to your husbands. And men, you need, to, you need to love your wives. That's the way they're wired. 
This isn't so much about sexuality, but in a way it is. But I, I want to kind of talk a little bit about divorce, some warnings about divorce. Because a lot of divorce happens. Why? Because of sexuality. Would you agree with that? Because of men looking at pornography or women looking at pornography. That's a growing trend even among women. We'll talk about that in two weeks. Or extramarital affairs or whatever the case is. There's a lot of reasons why divorce takes place. But I want you to see real quickly in the Old Testament and the New Testament something about divorce. Malachi chapter 2, the Jewish men were kind of complaining and saying, well, God, why aren't you receiving our offerings and and receiving our prayers? And God's talking to them. And he, he says, this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? In other words, God, why aren't you listening? Why aren't you receiving our offering? It goes on and says, because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Guys, he's saying don't deal treacherously with your wife. She's your companion. You made a covenant arrangement between God and yourself in that marriage relationship. But no one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. In other words, if you have a remnant of the Spirit, you wouldn't be acting like that. You wouldn't be dealing treacherously with your wife. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? He, he said, take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of our youth. We need to guard the, the feeling, the spirit in us that we're not dealing treacherously with our wives. Then God says this, and it sounds pretty clear to me, for I hate divorce says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. God clearly says, I hate divorce. Now, I recognize we have people here who have been divorced. And I'm not shooting at you. It's only by the grace of God that Becky and me have been married these 43 years. We live in a fallen world. God's original plan was one man, one woman for life. We live in a fallen world. And because of the fall into sin, that's why we have problems that wind up ending in divorce. Let me read to you something out of the New Testament real quick. Matthew 19, verse 3 through 9. And the Pharisees came up to him, to Jesus, trying to test him. Said, is it lawful for... To divorce one's wife for any cause. In, in that day and time, there are two school of thoughts among rabbis. One, you could divorce your wife for sexual immorality. Two, for lack of a better term, just to give you a picture of it, she burned the bread, you could divorce her. For any cause. That, that's what they're asking. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male or female? You see why I told you what I did earlier? Jesus... God in the flesh is quoting the verse we looked at earlier. And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I guess here's another little side message. I'm going to meddle a lot today, I guess. If you get married, get out of your parents' basement. You may have to go back there sometime in the process of moving between houses. Amen. Amen. Do I get an amen over there with, with that? But, but, but go on by another house, you know. So, so they're no longer two, but one flesh. 
Well, therefore, God is joined together. Let not man separate. So they said back to him, well, why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Here's the deal. Moses never commanded it. And he said to them, that was because of the hardness of your heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it wasn't so. In other words, God's original concept is one man, one woman for life. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, marries another, commits adultery. So, guys, there's a lot of thought in churches, probably in legalistic thought, in legalistic areas, that makes it sound like there's no reason for divorce whatsoever. If you're divorced, you're like a second-class citizen or whatever when it comes to the church. I want you to notice there that Jesus, God in the flesh, gave an exclusion cause for divorce. And sexual immorality involves more than just Adultery, the word that he, that he used there. Let me use some stats on divorce and we'll be finished in a moment. Why do we have such a divorce rate, not just out in the world, but inside the church? Nearly 50% of first marriages end in divorce in America. The divorce percentage rate goes up on the second and third marriages. But it doesn't have to. Listen to why it doesn't have to. Among Christians, our faith needs to be actively practiced in our marriage relationships. Here's why. 60% of profession Christians who nominally attend church or practice religious habits have been divorced. Did you hear that? Inside the church. People who are kind of fringe believers, they don't really practice it a lot. While 38% of Christians who attend church regularly have gone through a divorce. Look at the difference in the percentage. Conservative Christians who are active in their faith have a much less rate of divorce. 35% less likely to divorce than people with no religious affiliation. That's why I'm saying it's important that you be active in your faith. Because being active in your faith will help you make it through the junk that you're going to have in the relationship of marriage. And help you preserve your marriage. Here's some other statistics. Over the past 30 years, couples cohabiting or living together have quadrupled. Marriage union is on the decline over the past 40 years, with independent female households increasing by 65%, and men, catch this, and independent male households increasing by 120% over the last 40 years. Today, less than 50% of all homes in America are inhabited by married couples. So real quick then, what about staying single? Because someone may be here and you're thinking, but I'm not married, or maybe I've not been married, and I feel guilty about that because of the peer pressure of our culture. Listen real quickly to what's said here. Now concerning the matters which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation of sexual immorality that I read earlier, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. It's fine not to get married. But you need to understand this. If you're going to be single, you need to also practice celibacy. It, it doesn't mean it's okay for you to go and practice sexual immorality. That's why he said you, you, you need to get married. Later on in Corinthians chapter 7, look what he says. By the way, the Apostle Paul, in a section I didn't put the verses up, said, I wish some of you were like me. Do you realize Paul wasn't married? But look at this on over in 1 Corinthians 7. Next slide. 
Well, it is up there. I didn't see it earlier. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish it all were as I am myself. In other words, he, he was not married. Think about the practicality of that for a minute. If you're going around planting churches all over Asia Minor, is it easy to travel by yourself or to have a wife and five or six kids in tow? Huh? So that's what he's saying. Nothing wrong with marriage. Paul's not saying nothing wrong with marriage, but there's also nothing wrong with being single. Verse 32 through 35, I, I want you to be free from anxieties. Let me warn both of you up front. Men, when I read this, do not grunt, do not say amen. Women, when I read this, do not grunt, do not say amen. It's not going to help the relationship out. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Don't grunt. See what I told you? You'll be in trouble. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. Notice what he adds in there for the ladies, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay restraint on you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Guys, here's the thing about it. Our culture might put pressure on you to be married. You need to find out whether God even wants you to get married. It may be a call upon your life to focus your whole energy upon serving Jesus. And if so, there's nothing at all wrong with that. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean there's something less of you because you're not married. I think I could say this. No matter how great the wife is you marry or how wonderful the husband may be that you marry, both of them fall short of Jesus. Amen. So be sure you're attached to him. In two weeks, we'll pick back up on the hot topic of sexuality. We'll pick it up more from a negative standpoint. We'll talk about biblical warnings and prohibitions concerning sexuality. But for today, we've tried to just get a biblical understanding concerning sexual practices. Number one, God created gender. Number two, God created sexuality. Number three, God created marriage and set the parameters for marriage. Did you see all that in the passage today? Did you see all that in the Bible today? Now, that being said, I want to close with this, and I'll probably close with it in two weeks too. We need to remember this passage of Scripture that I'm about to read. Because if we don't, it's awfully easy for us to look down on people who have messed up marriages or who are confused in gender or are confused in what marriage is supposed to really be. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through 7 says, For we ourselves were once foolish. We, we were disobedient. We were led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Well, the reason I'm reading that before I close out this message, and the reason I'll probably revisit it in two weeks is this. We need to avoid a holier-than-thou attitude because none of us are perfect. Amen. All of us have been flawed. All of us have had our issues. It might be different issues than the one we're talking about in, in this message or in the rest of this series, but we all were flawed in some way. So we need to remember that before we start looking down on somebody else. But when the goodness 
and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Guys, we can't work our way to heaven. It's based on the mercy of God by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Hey, everyone out there that's confused with gender issues or marriage issues or sexuality issues, they need us to display mercy just like God displayed mercy toward us. They need the same grace of God that you and I received from God. And if we don't display mercy and grace in their direction, we will never get them to Jesus. I can't fix them. You can't fix them. Jesus can. Amen? Let's pray. Father, God, we, we readily admit we live in a messed up world with a lot of confused people, a lot of confused thoughts, mindsets. Father, I'm afraid it's the fault of the church not just the culture that we live in because we have failed as a church to tell people the whole truth concerning sexuality. We've been shy of the topic thinking somehow it might be improper. But it's not improper because you created it and it's in your word. And we need to talk about it. And we need to teach it to our children and to our young people. God, we've lost a lot of territory. And I understand that we can't reclaim it with wrong attitudes. So God, help us to practice mercy and grace toward others. Help us to pray for them and offer to them and try and lead them toward the mercy and the grace of the gospel so that their lives might be changed. Father, I pray this morning for anyone that may be wrestling with guilt because of a a past divorce or anyone that's wrestling with, with some of these issues that are so rampant in our culture, with their, with their gender, with their, with their sexuality, with what marriage is and what marriage isn't. Father, I pray for them and I pray you help them just to come to your truth and apply your truth to their lives. Father, especially right now, I pray if there's anyone in this place that needs Christ as their Savior. They've not experienced that mercy that we just read about. They've not experienced your love and kindness in a way that they clearly understand it. They've not received your grace. Father, I pray that you draw whoever that might be to yourself and give them the faith they need to say yes to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, 
or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.